If you found Mark 8, why don't you stand with me and let's read together God's Word. Another miracle. You know, one of the tricky things about being a preacher and walking through a gospel is at some point it feels like, oh my word, it's another miracle. How am I supposed to preach this? He's already healed blind people before. How do I say this in a way that's fresh? Well, here's the good news. This is not another miracle. In a very real sense, this is an unprecedented one. There is, in other words, more than meets the eye here. And I wonder if you'll detect it with me as we read, beginning in verse 22. Hear now the words of our God. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? And it says the blind man looked up, and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So then Jesus lays his hands on his eyes again and feel the threefold emphasis. He opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Won't you join me as we pray, and let's ask God to help us make sense of this unprecedented miracle. Father in heaven, I'm asking now that you would come and by the power of your spirit open blind eyes to behold wonderful things from this word. And would you use me in spite of me as your instrument to do this? And I'm asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You've heard the old adage, right? A picture is worth thousand words. Everybody knows that. Isn't that the truth? Haven't you found it to be true that, my word, doesn't everybody love a good illustrated book? Even we respectable, educated folks that have the dictionary-sized books on our bookshelf at home, you got to admit, don't you like it when a book has a picture? There's a reason children love illustrated books. There's a reason I, and I'm a little bit of a bookworm, I love to read history books, but of all those big, giant history books I have on my shelf, every time I sit down with one, invariably, I turn to the middle where there's those nice pages in the center that have all the pictures. And I always wish there were more of them. Everybody loves a good illustration. And you know, what's really interesting is oftentimes uh, folks wonder, children have even asked me this point blank over the years, why didn't God illustrate the Bible? If he knows we like that so much and it's so helpful, why didn't he? I mean, if, if a picture's worth a thousand words, why'd he give us thousands of words? I, I wish he could have given us some pictures. And, and here's the truth. I want you to hear this, ready? In a very real sense, he has. On the one hand, it is true. He has given us a book the Bible, the word of the living God, thousands of words. It is his special, specific, pointed revelation to us. But perhaps you've forgotten that in a very real sense, he has given us not only this book, but another. There is an accompanying book, illustrated, as it were, that makes clear the meaning of this book. It 
points to it. You're wondering, what on earth is this book of which you speak? I'm only aware of one. It is what theologians have called, not the word, but the world. Not scripture, but nature. Not revelation, but creation. Have you forgotten that God's green earth, this wonderful created expanse in which we live, the scripture actually teaches, it exists to illustrate for us who God is. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. The apostle Paul even puts a finer point on it when he tells us that no man, woman, or child is without excuse because they live in a world that screams there is a God. This world is God's more general revelation to us. His specific special one is the Bible, but he more generally reveals to us who he is. Romans 1 makes it quite clear. It shows us his attributes, all the things that he has made. So we see the great high mountain peaks, and it screams to us that there is a maker whose heights are higher than we could fathom. The depths of the deepest ocean describe for us, picture for us, that his depths are unplumbable, unfathomable. Our God is deeper, far more expansive. We cannot contain him. When you look up at the scar starry sky in the middle of the night, you will see that there is a maker. This no way this could have just happened. The heavens declare the glory of God. This world, in other words, makes visible the invisible. You see, the world illustrates the word. You see, nature illustrates scripture. Creation illustrates the revelation. And of all the great illustrations that God has given us in this world, there is one created, creative wonder that I believe outshines the rest. This is just my judgment, not thus saith the Lord, but I'll tell you why I believe this. To me, the one illustration God gives us that is just so profound is the illustration of eyesight. Let me tell you why I say that. Sight is his chosen illustration for sin. Time and again, he compares our hopeless, sinful condition as blindness. The God of this world, he says, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Seeing, we do not see, he says time and again. Blindness is a picture of our sin, but then conversely, he also uses this illustration to help us understand not only our sin, but his saving grace. For he often describes his saving grace as this, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Look. He says, see, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is a profound illustration, not only of our sin, but of his saving grace. Indeed, it is even more specifically an illustration of his saving, of, of what saving faith looks like. If you go read the book of Acts, the book of Acts actually says that the disciples were sent out to open blind eyes. Now, it was not within their power to do so. That was a gift of God. It was the grace of God to go and make spiritually blind people see. And if that's not good enough, he even uses the illustration of eyesight to illustrate not only our sin and saving grace and saving faith, but of our very sanctification, 
Big word that means the slow process of God changing us into his likeness. Do you remember what he says in Ephesians when he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened? That is his poetic description of the process of our eyes slowly being opened to behold the glory of his grace throughout this life. Therefore, it's little wonder that Jesus regularly heals blind men. Because I believe this healing, amongst all of his healings, are metaphors for how he is operating in our life. And I wonder, does that not sit well with you? Maybe you're thinking, I don't know, is this situation really an illustration? Should we read this miracle as something that literally happened but also was metaphorically pointing to how God takes we who are spiritually blind and awakens our eyes? And I say yes for three reasons. The first reason why is because you need to note when this healing happens. On the one hand, this healing happens immediately after Jesus has just confronted his disciples. Do you remember this was last week, verses 14 through 21, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, seeing you do not see. You guys don't perceive this? How do you guys not get this? He is, in other words, saying, you disciples, you're not as blind as the Pharisees, but you're still partially blind. You're not really seeing this. So on the one hand, I believe this healing is illustrating in a most profound way a theological point he had just made a few verses before. Note when, but there's another reason why. I want you to note how he does this miracle. That is the unprecedented thing I see in this text. Did you guys notice how he does it? It says he spits in the guy's eyes. That's not unprecedented. He's done that before, and he'll do it in John 9. What's weird is he spits in his eyes, lays on his hands. It says the guy's eyes are opened, but then what happens next? He's like, I see, but it's like people with trees walking. And then Jesus is like, oh man, I gotta do it again. And he puts hands on him and all of a sudden he can see. Is that what happened? Did Jesus screw up? Thank God that he actually figured it out and he, he actually was the miracle worker. Is that what's happening here? And of course, theologically, we can't even fathom the thought, our Lord is perfect in all his ways. That is not the explanation. Accidental, no. Providential, intentional, yes. The way he was doing this, I believe, was illustrating the way in which he works in our life. And I'll share with you why I say that in a moment. Note when, Note how, and thirdly, just note why, because every time Jesus does a miracle in the Bible, it seems that he's linking physical healings with spiritual healings. He does this all the time. For example, in John 9, he actually heals a a man born blind, and at the end of John 9, he puts a fine point on it and says, the reason I have healed this man is to show you that you are blind and need to be spiritually healed. You who are blind must now see. He is linking healing of blind people to the healing of spiritually blind people, which I think brings it home for us. And I want you to see today that outside of Christ, you and I are like the blind man spiritually blind, without hope. It is outside of our power or any man, woman, or child's power to heal you, uh, your spiritual blindness. What this text illustrates for us is a critical truth that ought to strengthen your faith this day. Take it home, dear friends. Christ alone can make you see. This text illustrates in my judgment that it is Christ's power alone that can make we who are spiritually blind people see. Now you're thinking, okay, I get that. I've, I've heard this before. That doesn't sound terribly profound. What do we make of this strange healing though? And this is where I think it gets interesting. I believe in the same way, and by the way, this is not just me. A great many scholars share this. I would never preach something to you if I was the only guy. I'm probably wrong if I'm the only guy. 
But in the same way the blind man was healed in stages, do you realize that, theologically speaking, you and I, and hear me now, we're saved in stages? You're thinking, whoa, wait a minute. I thought that was a decisive thing, and it is. Hear me. Oh, mercy is it. But I want you to notice, do you realize that when Jesus saved you long ago, he didn't finish his work with you? He who saved you in the past is he who is presently saving you this moment. There is a work he's doing in your life right now. He actually uses the very language in the Bible, is saving you, and he even uses the very language in the Bible that one day he will fully and finally save you. We have other words for this that might make it make more sense. He who has saved you in the past is he who justified you. He who is saving you in the past, is saving you in the present, is he who is sanctifying you. And he who will fully and finally complete that good work he began in you is he who will glorify you one day. In other words, the gospel or salvation could be described as in three tenses. God has done something, God is doing something, and God will do something in your life. And all three of those tenses are illustrated in this wonderful uh, miracle of healing the blind man. We're going to see what God has done, what he is doing, and what he one day will do in this blind man, and in you, and in me. So if you're taking notes, mark this down. I want you to see this first glorious truth. If you are in Christ, remember that Christ alone has made you see. There was a day and time when Christ took you who were blind, and he made you see. Look down, if you will, at verse 22 and following, and let me walk us through the text, and we'll see how this miracle becomes a metaphor. Verse 22, it says they came to Bethsaida. That's a town on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and this town was probably home to Andrew and uh, uh, Nathaniel and, and Philip, etc. The disciples would have been familiar with this town, and it says a blind man was brought to him by some nameless people. Now, a blind man in that day and time would have been considered relatively unclean. They were regarded widely as cursed of God. It was a judgment they perceived God had, felt, had put on the individual. Oftentimes, their blindness manifested not merely as cloudy vision, but literally like their eyes would often be infected. Sometimes you'd see you know, gnats and other bugs around it. It was, in other words, similar to a leper. You just really wouldn't want to be altogether around a blind man. It was, it was considered a most grievous condition. And they bring this blind man to Jesus, and it says they begged Jesus to touch him. And it says in verse 23, he does the shocking. He reaches out his hand. He touches the man. He takes him out of town. We're not exactly sure why. Maybe it was a sign of his personal tender care. Maybe it was illustrating what verse 26 says, that he didn't want anybody to know about this miracle, so he was taking him out of town so that it wouldn't become the talk of the town. We're not altogether sure, but it is very clear that Jesus fixates on this one man. He takes this man by the hand. He takes him out of the village, and then he does something shocking and, dare I say, disgusting to most of us. It says he spat on his eyes. And then he takes those hands, and he puts his hands on the eyes. And then he asks him, do you see anything? And it says the man looks up, means he opens his eyes. That word literally in the Greek, anablepo, means it's like his sight was restored. He saw again. And he says, I see. Now I know all of you know what the next word is in that verse. You see that big word, but, and then he changes some things. Pretend like you haven't seen that yet. Just stop right there. Because this is actually a miracle in its own right. 
regardless of the clarity of his vision, you got to recognize that something miraculous has happened. He who was blind now looks up and says, I see. And stop for a minute and recognize with me that that is a beautiful metaphor of God's miraculous work he wrought in your life one day if you are in Christ. Do you recognize that like the blind man of old, there was a day when God came and touched you? Do you recognize you are not now once blind and now seeing because you were raised in a Christian home? That has nothing to do with it. Do you realize you're not a Christian because your mother was or your spouse is? He had to specifically come to you. There was a moment when he came and he touched you. And upon touching you, you may recall that he not only came to you personally, at that day and time he came to you, dare I say, provocatively. Because do you remember that time in your life when the message of Christianity was an offense to you? It was as if he spat on your eyes. There was a moment where you thought, I don't want this. I don't need this. I'm not blind. I see. I feel like I see just fine. And then there was this moment where it hits you and all of a sudden you recognize, oh my word, I now see what I thought I saw. It's all new. It's completely different. There was a moment when he provocatively came to you and in that moment you saw. It's like the scales fell and at last you could see, my friends, this was not only a personal work of God and not only a provocative work of God, it was a prompt work of God. In that moment, instantaneously, you looked up and with the blind man of old, you saw. It's a miracle. We have a theological word for that event that happened in the past in your life. We call that conversion or we call that justification where the gavel gets dropped down and he says instantaneously you who are lost are now found you who are blind are now see you who are guilty are now forgiven you who are in debt are now redeemed it's a glorious decisive prompt moment where the blind now see what an amazing gift that there was a day when he made you see but don't miss this did you notice how all this started? Did God just, kind of like a fairy godmother, show up in your house one day, wave a wand, and all of a sudden you saw? It doesn't really work that way. The Bible teaches quite clearly that his normal, normative way, he always makes blind people see, is what we find in verse 22. Go to the beginning. How did the blind man get to Jesus? It says... Some people brought to him a blind man. Did you notice what God's chosen instrument was? Some nameless, but praise God, shameless people who obediently took their friend in need to the one who alone could meet their friend's need. Oh, would it be the cry of your heart to be counted among the nameless throng of some people who faithfully in your great frailty, just brought somebody to Jesus. Did you recognize, though, that they didn't merely just bring the friend? What's the next thing it says? It says they begged him, which I think is a beautiful picture of the power of intercessory prayer, of pleading, praying, begging 
God on behalf of one you love who is blind and so desperately needs the miracle of sight like you once received. And so, dear church, just take it as a great implication in verse 22. You are the instrument that God will use in the life of a blind, dear friend or uh, relative. Oh, be found faithful to just bring somebody to Jesus, bring them to this church, bring them to the Bible, and don't you dare do this without interceding for them Oh, there is great power in persistent prayer. Don't stop praying, dear church. If you plead, guess what will happen? There is going to come a day where the great healer will come and upon your intercession, touch and do what you cannot. So praise God, Christ alone can make you see. He has. But did he save you in the past and then stop working in your life? You know, tragically, Satan has deceived, indeed blinded, a great many so-called professing Christians into believing that they're good because they were saved at one point, and they have seen no detection of growth, of change, of Christ-likeness at all since that day. But they're good because they got baptized and they came forward. And the truth is, he who has made you see is secondly, he who is making you see. Have you noticed that when your eyes were opened, did you see perfectly? I wonder if that's your testimony. When your eyes were opened by God Almighty, did you all of a sudden see your sin perfectly and understand the glory of his grace and all of its depth and wonder? Or were you like the blind man of old? You see people, but they're kind of like trees walking. It's like you're seeing contours, but slowly and surely it's coming into frame. You're starting to see greater and greater clarity. I think, and many scholars think, that the reason Jesus intentionally healed this man in two stages was to illustrate that when he causes you to see, it is both partial and progressive in your life. He will open your eyes and you will be, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13, Seeing, but through a glass dimly. He uses this language as well. You'll walk by faith, but not really by sight. You have a vision, but it is not clear. It's progressive. It is going to slowly but surely change. We call that sanctification, where slowly but surely he is going to make you grow in your awareness of his glory and grace. Do you recognize we who see must fight for sight. This is a significant truth the scripture teaches, that when Christ opens your eyes, from that day forward, your life is going to be a fight for sight. You are going to have clouded judgment every day. I wonder how many of you in this room could admit, Kyler, I've come to church and it feels like I am in the murk of misery, the mist of misery. It's like the smog of suffering just has my vision clouded. I am in the fog of fear. There are so many things happening in my life. It's like I can't see. I so desperately want to see. And if that's you, take heart. We who see must fight for sight. The Bible promises that this life will be a tough one, that in Christ you are going to have to fight How do you do it? Well, you're going to see God's work in your life such that you'll slowly but surely begin to see all the more clearly who he is and who you are. Do you reckon I've been walking with the Lord for 22 years? And in these 22 years, I have found that with every passing year, I actually see myself more sinful, not less, with every passing year. You're like, preacher, I thought you should be feeling more holy. I feel the opposite. 
The more I grow, the more my eyes are open, I actually see myself to be who I am, and I see Christ to be who he is. He becomes sweeter, more glorious. His gospel becomes so much better. I am growing in grace, growing in knowledge of who he is, and I am growing in my awareness of my sin. So therefore, by God's grace, I am growing in my hatred of sin. I am growing in my ability to put sin to death, and that is true if you are in Christ. If Christ has opened your blind eyes, you, though, see through a dark uh, glass dimly, but you are slowly but surely being sanctified, gradually, progressively being changed into the image. He is granting you clearer sight. And you're thinking, man, if only this would happen sooner. You, don't, you say that so poetically, fog of fear, mist of misery, blah, blah, blah. It just sounds like preacher talk. But do you realize what this is doing to me? I'm dying over here. I, I feel blind. And if that's you, praise God. This miracle does not end in verse 24. Jesus partially healing. For in verse 25, what do we find? Upon his testimony, I see people, but it's like men like trees walking. Which, by the way, strangely enough, that might infer for us that the man was not born blind, that he knew what a tree and a man looked like. We're not exactly sure. Jesus takes his hands, and in verse 25, he touches them again. And notice the threefold exclamation. I believe the reason he repeats himself three times in verse 25 is to underscore how perfect and permanent our sight will one day become. Notice what it says. It says, he opened his eyes. That word literally means it's as if he saw anew for the first time. He saw it with great restoration, that which he hadn't seen before. Then he repeats himself and he says, his sight was restored. That means it was as perfect as it might have been originally upon birth. And then thirdly, it says he saw everything clearly. That word infers for us 20-20 vision, vision from a distance. This guy, in other words, with a threefold refrain, he is saying, I see, I see, I see perfectly. And that is a beautiful metaphor of the miraculous work God will one day do in your life. Do you realize that presently, though you see through a glass dimly, there is coming a day when your partial sight will be made perfect. You will complete, in other words, Paul's verse. Do you remember how that verse ends? Though we see through a glass dimly, we will one day see perfectly or face to face. There is coming a day when we who see partially will see perfectly and permanently, as Revelation 22 and verse 4 says, when we will stand before our maker and will at last behold what no man has prior. Every time somebody saw God, they fell over as if dead. Moses saw the backside of God. You never could look God in the face, but there is coming a day when we are going to see him, as verse 4 of Revelation 22 says, face to face. We will behold him in perfect glory. Praise God there is coming a day when our faith is going to be made sight. One day we are going to be able to experience that which we have sung uh, for years and years. Y'all know the old song, it is well with my soul. Oh Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be made sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll, as Isaiah says. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Do you realize those words were not sung by a man in heaven? They were sung by a man in the throes of despair. Horatio Spafford, a man who had just lost all his worldly possessions to a tragic fire, 
And if that's bad enough, he also lost his four daughters to a tragic ship sinking. This man was at the absolute bottom. Like Job of old, he could have cried out, mocking God, cursing God to his face, as Job's wife tried to get Job to do. But like Job of old, he cried out, Oh, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be made sight. I can't wait for that day when the clouds are rolled back as a scroll, when that trump is going to resound and you're going to finally descend. But even so, until that day comes, it is well with my soul. Could you sing that with him? If in truth you say, I don't know that I could, take heart, my friends. Christ alone can make you see he has when he saved you. He is as he is sanctifying you. And there is coming a day when he fully, perfectly, and permanently will when he glorifies you in heaven. Aren't you grateful? Oh man, are you not grateful that a picture is worth a thousand words? And that Christ in his infinite grace has granted us just that. A glorious, incomparable illustration of his miraculous work in our life. Oh, Christ alone can make you and has made you, is making you and will make you see, dear church. But in a gathering of this size, I trust there are a great many of you that must hear my final and admittedly harder word. And that is that there are invariably a great many of you gathered here today who seeing don't really see. You're spiritually blind, as it were. And if that's you, you know, Kyler, I, I've been coming to church here for years, but I don't think I see what you see. I've not beheld, I'm not seeing my sin. I'm not seeing the glory of his grace. Honestly, a lot of this is yawn worthy to me. When I look spiritually, it's like black. It's just so murky. I don't see anything. I want to I see what you see. If, if that's you, I want you to note what God has done for you this hour. Like the blind man of old, you have been brought here. It perhaps was by a relative, a friend. Maybe it was just the strong hand of providence, God himself, who has brought you providentially into this room, but nevertheless, you have been brought here like the blind man of old. You have been begged for, prayed for, pleaded for, interceded for, even if you didn't know it. I prayed that the Lord would open blind eyes this day, and surely there are a great many in this great congregation who have likewise prayed that the Lord would save in this service. Did you know that you have not only been brought here, you have been prayed for like the blind man of old? And it says, if you have been spat upon by him, his very word has proceeded from his mouth as the gospel has been proclaimed, and perhaps it has hit you and you've taken offense to it. You're thinking, I'm not blind. I don't know what that preacher guy's talking about. I can see just fine. But as it hits you, all of a sudden you start realizing what a, what a salve it is, what a balm it is. And all of a sudden it's like you're recognizing, oh my word, I'm seeing things that I haven't seen before. I see my need. I'm, I'm seeing that I'm a blind man and that there is glorious light to behold. Oh God, I believe, help my unbelief. If that is you this day, I pray that you would respond crying out, oh God, I am a blind man. 
Help me to see, Lord, would you touch me as you touched the blind man of old. Work a miracle and praise God. Christ alone can do this for you. He has for me, he is for me, he will for me, and he can for you this day. If you confess you are who you are and you confess he is who he is, he will in his mercy reach down and touch you. And when that day comes, when your blind eyes now see, you can join me we and all the chorus of the redeemed and sing forevermore that immortal song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Would you join me as we pray? And it is my earnest plea that God would do what I cannot, and that is make you who were once blind, now see. Today, as we all respond, we'll do so a little differently. In a moment, we will respond in song. And when that time comes, it would be right and appropriate for you who know that you're blind and so desperately want to see to come pray with one of us. We pastors will be down here at the front and we would love nothing more than to pray with you. But before we do that, today, each and every one of us ought to respond to the gospel proclaimed in the highest and holiest act of worship Christ has afforded us. And that is through the partaking of his supper. What a tremendous illustration of his work for us. Jacob began our service by reading Ephesians 1 and verse 7. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. It was by the body and the blood of Jesus that we are redeemed, that we are uh, saved, that we are found, that we now see. And that's why we're going to take of this supper as a tangible reminder that it is all because of the body and blood of Jesus broken and poured out on the cross of Christ that we have any hope. We now see because of what he did on Calvary. And so today, I want to invite you to privately pray in the confines of your pew and ask that God would prepare your heart to take of this supper. The scripture is quite clear that we ought not take of this supper lightly, lest we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves, as Paul says. And so you should search your heart, confess your sins. We've had a time of confession, here's round two. Just cry out and say, oh God, forgive me. Seeing I do not see, help me. If you know this hour that you are blind and so desperately want to see, may I encourage you to just sit back and observe the congregation, the church, partake of this supper. This is, in other words, a meal for believers who now see and have testified through believers' baptism that God has worked a miracle in us. I invite you to just sit back and observe while we together commune in this high and holy act of worship. You pray. And in just a moment, I will lead us together through this supper. Pray now.
having examined our hearts, I invite you, if you have not done so, to take out your elements. And I would advise you to open the bread before the cup. And let us follow with Christians throughout the centuries the words of the Apostle Paul as recorded in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, beginning now in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of the bread, and as often as you drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, Paul writes, until he comes. Dear church, there is coming a day when he will return at last, and our faith will be made sight. We who see in part will see in full. Oh, there is a day coming when we will behold him face to face. But until that day comes, we will proclaim his death the only hope of being converted, the only hope of being sanctified. We will be found as those some people who brought that blind man to Jesus. May this church be known as a bunch of some nameless but shameless people who are pleading, praying, and bringing the lost to Christ, trusting that it is one person and one person alone who can make the blind see. Christ alone can make you see. And may God add to his numbers here at Hickory Grove so that the chorus grows all the more louder. Amazing grace, how sweet that sound that saved a wretch like me. We were once lost, but praise God, we are now fine. We who were blind now see. Let's pray to this end together. Father in heaven, by the power of your spirit, so move in this room that blind men and women would now see for we who know this work you have wrought in our lives in the past, I pray that we would fight for sight until that day comes when our faith is made sight. That we would not grow weary as we look through this glass dimly, but we would bank on your precious promise that a day is soon coming when we will see at last in full. Until that day comes, Lord, use us in spite of us to bring others blind men and women to the miracle, wonder-working power of you, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your matchless name. Amen.